skyline of New York City, pretty amazing, right? A thousand points of light representing offices, activity, ideas that are hatched that affect not only New York City, but the entire world. Sophisticated equipment that is used in phenomenal ways. But it's all dependent upon one thing, power. If you take away power, the whole thing shuts down. All the office buildings are useless, and it's as dark as night. I know that because during one of the blackouts, I was here looking across and seeing nothing. All that potential was shut down because of the lack of power. That's the way life is, too, with all the challenges we face, with mountains that we have to get over. It's impossible to live without power. And that's the great thing about God. He promises power so that we can live and be what he wants us to be. Now, when it comes to God changing people and the spirit manifesting himself through that person so that others can be blessed and built up, a great example is the remarkable story of Terry Kim. In 1975, uh, my country went to a war called Communist War. It's known as the Killing Field. And uh, I, I was maybe three, four, I'm not so sure. And um, I went through the war. I, quite, I witnessed quite a bit that a young child wouldn't normally witness. Um, I witnessed how they, you know, executed people by making them dig their own grave. And, um, and if you get sick, they would just kill you right on the spot. And if baby cried, they would just um, take the baby. And some occasion, they even split the baby in half in front of the mom. Or they just take the baby and you never see them again. I would witness people get crucified. I was, I witnessed. You know, you're just dead body everywhere on the street. Someone once said that if you can explain a Christian church, if you can explain it, if it all adds up, then something's wrong because that's not how God intended his people to live. What does that all mean? Well, it goes back to the early church that we read about in the book of Acts, where so much about the Holy Spirit is mentioned. Jesus had risen from the dead, and we read in Acts 1 that he spent time with the apostles, off and on for about 40 days. He talked about the kingdom of God, and then he made a um, series of statements to them which gave them direction for their future. They were wondering if it was time for him to restore the kingdom to Israel. They had prophecy chart questions. And he said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has kept in his own hand and mind. That's a good thing for us to remember. Our job on earth as Christians is not to figure out everything about uh, prophetic issues because some of them are really quite difficult to understand. Am I right? But here's what he did say they should focus on. But he said, you wait in Jerusalem and tarry there, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then right after that, he says, and you will be witnesses. Not, I want you to be witnesses. He says this, wait until you receive power, the power of the Holy Spirit. As he comes upon you, 
and fills you, power will be part of your ministry. And then you will be witnesses, both in Jerusalem and throughout the whole earth. We know in Acts 2, the Spirit came and Peter preached the first sermon. And for the rest of the book of Acts, and we know from church history, the church multiplied and you couldn't explain exactly what was happening. Here was Peter, kind of a failure as a disciple in many ways, now bold and doing amazing things. Then there are men like Philip and Stephen who were really asked to be like deacons and suddenly they're doing incredible things for God. You have fishermen and tax collectors and political zealots who had no seminary to go to, no formal training except their walk with Jesus and suddenly they're going here, there and everywhere. And the church is multiplying, the gospel is spreading and if you analyze it and say, how could this be? There's only one explanation. It's what Jesus promised them at the very beginning, and you will receive power. Now, he told them to wait in Jerusalem, and that's problematic if you really analyze it. Let's think about that for a moment. Here, Jesus had risen from the dead, and they now knew that their Messiah, their Savior, had not just died on the cross, but had risen from the dead. They saw him. And now as he talked with them, they understood the whole meaning of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the blood that was shed, which would be for the remission of the sins of all mankind. That Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. They now understood the good news of Jesus Christ. They knew the message. They understood the gospel. Now you would think they would immediately go and rent a stadium or go door to door or do something with this message. People were dying as they do every day in Judea and Samaria and Galilee and then in other parts of the world. But Jesus oddly tells them, don't go anywhere. You know the message, but you're not ready yet. Wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high a supernatural power, something from heaven, something beyond their capacities, something beyond their IQ, something beyond their talent. Well, they waited, and we know after waiting in prayer, singing, praising God, in an upper room, suddenly something came from heaven, something from heaven, a sound came, sound of a mighty rushing wind. The thing I want you to focus on, and the thing that I think we need to remember is it was something from heaven. The power, the endowment of gifting that God had for them came from heaven. It was supernatural by definition. And that's how they went into the world and turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. That's the golden age of the church. Everything went upside down by a bunch of people who were not trained. Jesus could have picked 12 rabbis to be his followers. They at least would have been great you know, orators or experts in rhetoric and understood, understood the scriptures. But no, he picked fishermen. He picked people who were weak in their natural talent. Why? Because then they would have to depend on the promise that he made to them. He said, you'll receive power. You'll never do the job without the power that is needed and that I'm promising for you. Now that's the great need of today. It's as if Jesus was looking down the corridors of time and saying, even though you have the right message, 
You're gonna face such opposition. You're gonna get into such difficulty and persecution. The enemy, spiritual warfare, is gonna come against you with such an array of weapons. You'll never be what I want you to be without my power. You have my message, but you need my power also. Isn't that the greatest need we have today? I mean, as every Christian would honestly look at it or any pastor would analyze our situation, do we need more translations of the Bible? Do we need more praise and worship choruses? Do we need better sound systems in our churches? You know, better choir risers, better lighting. Uh, do we need to serve more coffee before the service? Is that what the need is? The world is lying in darkness. It's getting wickeder every decade. People need the gospel, need to be changed. And a lot of times, we're just rearranging the furniture when what we really need is something coming from heaven. That's the great need today as we study the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised power. And the question is, are we living with the blessing of God's power in our lives and in our churches? But then um, I lost my father. Uh, he was very, very sick, and because being sick, he just disappeared. Why is it everything taken away from me? My daddy, my life, my innocence. When is it going to end? And then I was like, you know what? I refuse, as long as I live, I refuse to acknowledge that there is a God. I refuse to submit to such thing as God. And I'm going to find my way to live, and I'm going to live. From that moment on, I remember that the hatred and the anger, hatred toward men. I hate my father for, for leaving me behind. I hate my stepfather. I hate my mom. I, I, I mean, I hate life. I hate my life, period. And um, so I lived like that for, for a very long time. And then we had our um, sponsorship to come here to the United States. And then um, I, I wanted to leave home, but I don't know how. So I find myself telling myself, you know, the only way that a Cambodia woman allowed to get out of the house was to be married. I found uh, a guy that was willing to marry me. And then uh, uh, a year or two after that, I got pregnant. And when I remember lying in a hospital bed and the doctors to, uh, told me I have a boy, and I, I told him no. I didn't have a boy, I have a girl. At that moment, that's when all the cloud and all the darkness come back to me. I can't have a boy because he's gonna grow up, he's gonna rape and abuse somebody, he's going to just hurt somebody. I, I don't wanna have nothing to do with that. I remember taking, holding him in my hand, the joy of being a mother. I, I love him, there's a connection. But yet, I hate him at the same time. And yet, there, there's something about him that I cannot accept because he's a man. And I, I hate myself, not him, but myself for all this thing. And, and that was the end of my life. Every day, but I still have the big, beautiful smile. I go to work like everybody else. When I'm home, I never touch my children. I was never involved with my family. I was just in a dark corner thinking, what can I do to end my life? I never said a word to my, my husband, and, but then I do anything and everything just so that I can, can, can die. But I'm still alive, I don't know why. 
And so I tell myself, okay, maybe pill is not um, gonna kill me. How about disease? By this time, AIDS was well known in this country. So I, I wanted to, to die by disease. So I become unfaithful. Very, and then I would just, just unfaithful to my husband. And uh, in the process of being unfaithful, I got pregnant with, with those men. And I commit nine abortions. And still, I did not catch any disease, so I become more and more angry. Now I don't know what I'm angry with. So I hated myself. I never look at myself in the mirror. I just, I just hated myself so much. Jesus made the promise of power for the disciples. That word in the Greek is dunamis. We get our word dynamite from that. It means ability and might and efficiency, not coming from our human abilities and talents, but something that God is working through his people. Now, when the church is not operating with um, a flow of that power, and the energy of the Holy Spirit, things can really get barren quickly. And as we study church history, we see that there were high periods of God blessing the church and then things gradually subsided. The, the power and presence of the Holy Spirit was almost non-existent. And then what would happen? There would be faithful souls, sincere people who would say, I can't take this any longer. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired spiritually. Our children are turning away from God. We're giving them proper training, but there's no impact in their lives. Our services are dull and predictable. There's, there's, they're prayerless. People aren't hungering after the word of God. What we need is a revival. For those of you who are not too familiar with that term, there's a wonderful history of spiritual revivals going back over all the centuries of the Christian church. And what is a revival? It's when people get so tired of what is, and as they read the word of God and see what he promised, they say, no, God has something better for us. Oh God, rend the heavens and come down. We humble ourselves, we confess our sins, the, the things that have uh, obstructed your flow of power in our lives and grace. God, come and, and move among us. We humble ourselves, we submit ourselves to your will. We wanna see your name glorified on the earth and it's not being glorified. And this is not what you plan for my local church or my life or my family. And it's a fact that that kind of praying, that kind of humbling confession of sin has preceded every spiritual awakening. The Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening in the country of America, the, the prayer revival uh, that happened, started right here in New York City, the Great Welsh Revival where, that happened in Wales where great preachers from London would travel and go to see what God was doing in the churches of Wales, you couldn't get in the buildings and some of them, as famous as they were, had to stand out in the vestibule as people were singing and praising God and praying and folks were getting saved. Why? Something had come from heaven. God had revived his church and now wonderful things were happening through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I was just at the lowest point and I was working in a factory. I was a manager in a factory with a, um, a family from Mexico. They were Christian. And I separated from my husband and they moved in with me as my roommate. 
I walk into the kitchen, it's a mother, a daughter, and a son. They live together. And they say, where were you? I said, oh, out somewhere. And I said, what about you? Where were you? They said, oh, we went to church. And she said, you know, Terry, why don't you come to church with us? Inside of me, I was laughing, and I, I just said, nah, thank you, but no. So I went to the sink, cleaned my hand, and I remember a voice that sounded just like mine said, yeah, you know what, I think I might come. And in my head, I was like, Terry, shut up. What did you just say? And I went. And I remember when I, was, I went there, I was so nervous and shaken, and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, Jesus, I'm not here to seek you. I'm not here because I wanted to convert, but all these crazy people seem to think that you're God. And if you are, you show me who you are. And then I remember Wednesday night, it was the same scenario as the Sunday past. I asked them uh, that Wednesday, I said, you know what, I want to go to church with you guys again. They said, I can't go to church on Sunday. And I said, okay, then you give me direction, I'll go by myself. And again, I was like, oh my goodness, I got the biggest mouth on in the world. There's like two people fighting within me. I'd like to read a verse to you which seems like it's from another era, another universe, and yet it's from God's word for us today. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says, Now to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now to each one in the church, not the pastors only, not the leadership, not those paid staff, but to each member of the body of Christ, as Paul was writing to the church of Corinth, to everyone is given the manifestation of the Spirit. What does that mean? That means the Spirit is living inside, inside of every believer, and he wants to manifest himself and glorify Christ and help somebody either grow up as a Christian or maybe find Christ as their Savior. To each person, we're to be expecting some manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good, not fanaticism, not wild excesses that we so often see linked to the name of the Holy Spirit, but no, something practical to build up the church, but how? Through the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Since the church is a spiritual organism, it can only be built up by spiritual manifestation and gifting. It's not by might, nor by power, the Old Testament tells us, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And I ask you, how many churches, how many Christians, how many of us are, are believing God? Now, you live inside of me, Holy Spirit. Manifest yourself through me so that I can bless people in a way that I can never do in my own strength. But I remember, have the address in my hand, laying down on Saturday, I won't go, I won't go. I was in a train Sunday morning, two hours going to church, a Spanish church that I don't understand, by myself, I don't know why. I remember this time, something's telling me, go all the way to the front. So I walk all the way to the front, the third row, and something tell me, don't sit on, on the edge, leave one seat open. I leave one seat open, I sat down. When the music started, I felt for the first time in my life, broken, empty, unloved, Oh my goodness, the pain. I never felt such pain. And then I look up, a man that dressed in, in, not in this generation, walked toward me and he said, 
I love you and I have always been here. If you want to cry, you can cry on my shoulder. I was like, whatever. I sat him down and I cried. I mean, I was not crying, I was screaming. Screaming so loud and everything come out of me, I remember. And then the service was over, tears gone. I have now, I, now I, I felt different. I have peace, I automatic, no tears coming down, no pain that is within me. I just, I, I got embarrassed because of the thing that take place. So I, I just kind of leaned back to wipe my tear a little bit. And I look back to say, thank you. No one was there. And I got home, I found a family that, that invited me to church at home. I was telling them what happened, and the mother, she just said, oh, it's the Holy Ghost, it's the Holy Ghost. I was like, okay, I don't know what holy is, but I know what ghost is. I, I, I look at them, I say, oh my goodness, they have put, they cast a spell on me. And, and now, you know, now I don't know what to do. Ran to my room and like never, ever, ever have nothing to do with church again. But every Sunday I'm in church. And every time I, want, I wanted not to go to church, I just hear this voice, I love you. And, and that was it. I could not escape that, that voice said, I love you, because in all my life, I never knew what love was. I never experienced it, let alone hear somebody verbalize that to me. And so my life changed. My life changed. Now from wanting to die, now I want to live. And then uh, not just want to live, I want to live not for myself, but for him. And, 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 that, and it took a while for, for the Lord to minister to me and to just teach me how to just lay down, you know, lay all my burden, my burden down at his feet. It's amazing how he had that power to, to do new things in you, to change you, to learn how to love. Now I, I have a love relationship with my, um, my son. I guess that was the reason why he can work with me because I was absolutely empty of everything. I was just ready to just do something apart from what's going on in my life. But I'm so grateful that it was God. He knew, and he kept me through all the time that I tried to kill myself. So he knew that in that moment, that, that he, he knew that this is the time that he can work with me. Because I, I remember by that time I was already exhausted of fighting to die, fighting to live. I was exhausted. And when he come in, it was, it was his love. It was, it was just his love. And I'm so thankful that he opened my heart to receive it. You know, there's the false idea going around that everything that's new and everything that brings change is for the good. And that's not true. That's not true logically, and that's not true certainly in the realm of spiritual things. Sometimes when we change, we're moving in the wrong direction. and We're going into novelties and fads that don't have the power and the edification in them that the Bible indicates can only come from the preaching of God's word, lifting up the name of Christ, and honoring the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. 
And is it not time for all of us to do some soul searching and say, is my life characterized by the power of God being manifested, the Holy Spirit being manifested through my life so that people will know God is not dead, God is alive. And that can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Isn't it time for a lot of our churches and pastors and leaders, starting with myself, to humble ourselves and say, God, you must have something better for us than what we're doing, whatever the tradition is, Baptist, Evangelical, Assembly of God, so-called charismatic and all the rest. God, there's got to be something more. And if we stop and shut down everything and begin to call on God, do you think God's gonna turn away from us? Do you think that God is a God that will say, no, you want more of me so my name will be glorified, so more people will know my love and salvation? No, I'm not gonna do it for you, that's impossible. No, if we humble ourselves and call upon him and admit and confess our, our lack of ability to do the job, the Holy Spirit will come in new waves, new rivers of it will flow in our lives and the power of the Holy Spirit will make Jesus real to all kinds of people in the places where we live. Very powerful story. Our scripture Ephesians 3.16 says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And, and here he's saying, I want to strengthen you, you inside, not on the outside. I want you to be strengthened there. Has anybody ever experienced a blackout before? Has your house ever lost electricity? Did you say tonight? You know. What happens when you lose electricity? Hey, everybody turn your microphones on here because if you're going to talk, you're going to have to talk in the microphone. <laughs> you light some candles. You light some candles. Go light the world. Yeah, I mean, you know, nothing works, right? Your refrigerator doesn't work. Nothing works without power. What do we do with church today in the American culture? We go to church, and we think that we are the power, right? I got the power. You know, we think we are the power. We got the best musicians. We've got the best lights. We've got the best everything else. What we don't understand is that without the Holy Spirit, there is no power in the church. And just as our houses, you know, New York, he was talking about New York. I remember a few years ago, New York was up without power for a couple of days. And, I mean, it was bad because you couldn't flush your toilets and you couldn't, there were so many things you couldn't do that didn't have any, you know, any air and they're stacked on top of each other in New York City, right? And they're not like us in Arkansas spread out. They're all stacked on top of each other. So when we don't have power, there's so much we can't do. And the same way with the church, we may have a building, but without power, everything that's in that building is really worthless, it, it doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help anybody at all. So uh, we need to let God figure out how he wants to do something, let his power be evident in, in, our, in our church. Now, he was talking about the early Christians and talking about those disciples. What did he say about the disciples? Do you, does anybody remember what he said about the disciples? They were men that, uh, like, were fishermen. Um, they were able to be 
needing that power. Yeah, so what was the difference between them and the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were so smart in the, pre, in the, in the high priest? What was different about them that made them somebody that he wanted? You, you already kind of answered the question, but you can answer it again. You want to know about the Pharisees? And well, the I'm saying what's what makes what makes them different? Why did the Lord choose them over those that knew the Word, that knew the Torah? Because they were they were like on the bottom, or were way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. They needed the power. They were willing, right? They were willing uh, because, right? They were sitting out there. They were fishing. A couple of them were fishing, and Jesus comes by and he says come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And what they do, they drop their nets and they left. I'm sure their dad was like, what in the world just happened? Now I got to clean these nets up, you know? <laughs> you know, you know that's kids for you, right? Do y'all know, do y'all realize that the disciples were teenagers? They were somewhere around 15 to 19 years old. We always think of disciples as being 30, 35 yeah, they were 15 and 19 years old. And we look at our 15-year-olds and we're like, oh, my goodness. They can't do anything. They ain't smart enough to do anything. But Jesus took young men, and he says, come follow me. They says, okay, we'll follow you. And he changed their life. I mean, he, he really changed their life. And um, we can have the right message. We can get up and say the right things. But just like this young lady, or at the time she was a young lady, just like her, it wasn't the right message that the guy was speaking from the pulpit because she couldn't even understand him. It was that the power of God was in that church to change lives. And the power of God was in that family that when they moved in with her, that all of a sudden the power of God is now evident and with them in that house and now God's speaking to her and saying, go to church. And she goes to church with him one week. Next week, go to church. And she goes, two hours, two hours. Man, we can't get people to go to church if it's more than 20 minutes nowadays, right? You know, we got to be close. But two hours for her to get to church, and she still went to church. Again. We don't want to stay in church for two hours, let alone travel for two hours. That's right. You know, I always say, we get in such a rush to get out of church, maybe we rush out so quick that we miss God in the process. Not that God isn't here, but we miss what he's wanting to do in the process. As a matter of fact, we have a lot of churches today that don't, they don't ever have altar time. You know, I was on, on one of the pages that I'm a part of, the pastors were asking this guy, this pastor says, well, how do you do altar times? Because I stink at them. I just, I'm not any good at them. And I, at first I thought, wait a minute, you're not good at altar. Don't you just say, hey, would you like prayer? Come forward. And you pray for people. It was, it's that prayer. And so a lot, I went down through, these are spirit-filled pastors, spirit-filled churches, and I go down through, and the majority of the comments underneath it, now this is a this is a page on Facebook. It's not just out there on Facebook for anybody. These are people that are leading churches. And 99% of those people said, well, we just have them raise their hand and we'll say a prayer over them or we'll do blessing. 
we'll bless them, and then we'll encourage them the next step. If they want to talk more about salvation, then they, there's people they can talk to, or that if they want to sign up for the, you know, whatever it is they're signing up for. And I read it to Nina. I was reading to Nina the other day. I mean, every, almost every single, so I, I posted on there, and sadly enough, these were under 40 ministers, the majority of them. But I posted on there, I says, 90% of the time, we're going to have altar, whether anybody comes forward or not. But I give the opportunity unless I just don't feel like the Lord's moving that way. And I go back and I think of different things that have happened. That morning with Tara, I walked over to that side, and I was just going to dismiss, and the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going to dismiss yet. See if anybody needs prayer. And then Tara comes down, and the Holy Spirit ministered to her that day and that night. That was the Holy Spirit. Why? Because, because instead of me saying, I can do this, I've got the right message, I've preached a good message this morning, everything's great. Instead, I was willing, not, not, I'm, not I'm perfect, I was willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, and instead of saying, you're dismissed, I said, somebody need prayer this morning. Come down, and somebody need prayer. And, and we have, there's others that I've, so many stories that I've heard of a guy the other day was talking about when he got saved and the preacher was standing up there and he says, I can't continue because there's one person that you have not come down yet. You have not come forward yet. And, and was it, it was last week, right? It was last week. It's the one last week. Same thing. He hadn't come forward yet, but he came down, came forward. Okay? So, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Did I put that down there? Should be on that first page. Okay, so just write 1 Corinthians 12, 7 down. Pastor Simbla said it there on the video. To each one... The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. For each, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Notice the manifestation of the Spirit is not given just for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. It's not given just for you. It's given for the common good of the whole church. Now, sometimes you're going, to get, you're going to receive what you feel like you received more than somebody else did. But the com- why, why would we say the common good? Why would he say the common good? Because when you receive and then you let the Holy Spirit move through you, then what you have received is going to come out and you're going to be able to minister to other people because of that. God's going to be able to use you because of that. Now, on the on this uh, Terry Kim story. Now she just said a little bit about her her past in Cambodia. There was a time that her mom had to put her and her brother up in the attic multiple times, actually, when they would come through, when the soldiers would come through the area, and they'd have to play or hide in the attic because they couldn't be seen. I mean, crazy. There's just so many crazy things that goes on in her story. But she ends up in the United States. The guy she's married to is not unfaithful to her. Instead, she's unfaithful to him because all she could think about is, I just want to die. And so so she feels so unworthy and so useless that she wants to get 
a disease from somebody else. In the process, did you hear that? She had nine abortions in this process. Okay? So just because she comes to the U.S., that didn't change her life, right? A lot of times we go, oh, if this right here, if I just could get a better job, <laughs> if I could just have a little bit more money, if I could just if I could just be a little bit better at school, whatever it is, we sit there and we say, if this, then, my, then things will be better. Well, she came to the United States where things are better, but she got here and things weren't better, right? It was still just as bad for her because, see, we look on the outside, but God knows what's on the inside, and we can't see a lot of times what's in the inside, and people are struggling. People are dealing with things, and we look on the outside and go, oh, man, they're driving a nice truck. They can live in a nice house. They have, you know, kids, whatever the thing is, you know, they, they, they have the best of this, that, and the other, but we don't know what's on the inside of that person. And see, that's where we need the power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us and direct us and the power of the Holy Spirit to touch them. What You heard him give the story talking about these different revivals that happened, the Welsh revival. So these prominent preachers show up to the Welsh revival to preach, but they couldn't even get out of the foyer. Why? Did you hear what, what he said? Because the prayer meeting, they were praying and they were worshiping. And they didn't have what we had today. They didn't have air conditioning and lights and electric instruments and those kind of things. They didn't. I've, I've been going through the Dietrich Bonhoeffer story, and it's funny, in one of his, his letters that he had written to his friend, he says, well, I only preach every other week. He says, but I'm, I'm pretty okay with that because this time of the year, it's really hot, and the sun is shining right on the pulpit. <laughs> So even a preacher, even a even a godly man like Dietrich here, you know, he's he's going, hey, it's hot, it's difficult. And we look back at some of these revivals, and it wasn't perfect. It they didn't have everything perfect, but what they had was a willingness and a, and a desire for the power of the Holy Spirit. A pastor, a minister that I know, was down in Dumas, Arkansas, and a revival began at Dumas, Arkansas. I always tell people, what is revival? What is revival? Revival is when people's lives are getting changed by the power of God. That's revival, okay? When people's lives are getting changed by the power of God, it's not when people are speaking in tongues and falling out. That's not revival, okay? That's a manifestation of the spirit of that person's life going on in their life. But revival is, is this church in Dumas, Arkansas, where people, people were going out and telling other people about Christ, leading them to Jesus, and then they would come in. He says, it wasn't my sermons getting them saved. At the end of the service, I'd say, anybody need to come down to the altar? And people would come down to the altar. And so one of the stories was he came down to the altar, and he says, he says, yeah, he says, uh, I need to come down and say I gave my life to the Lord. He says, I was out fishing the other day, and Joe and Bob over here were in this boat while we were fishing, and they hollered at me, and they started talking to me about Jesus. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm asking Jesus into my life, out fishing on the lake, you know? What is that? It's the power of God, and that church just grew and grew, not because of anything that the preacher specifically did in and of himself, but because the power of God was flowing through that church, and the, and the pastor allowed that to happen. Listen to what Dwight L. Moody said at a prayer convocation in Northfield, Massachusetts. This is in 1880. He says, I believe 
and am growing more into this belief that divine, miraculous, creative power resides in the Holy Spirit. Unless he attend the word in power, vain will be the attempt in preaching it. Human eloquence or persuasiveness of speech are the mere trappings of the dead. Now, what is, what is he saying here? He's saying just because you're a good preacher, just because you can speak well, he says if the power of the Holy Spirit is not in the middle of it, it's vain. We could fill our church up because we're good at talking, but are, we, but are people's lives on the inside supernaturally, miraculously being changed and affected? So right after Jesus ascended into heaven, what did he tell, all right, remember the microphones, what did he tell the disciples to do and those that were with the disciples? He told them not to go ahead and go to Galilee to wait for the Spirit to come. You got it exactly right. He said, don't go, don't go, wait. He said, go and wait for the promise of the Father. So how long did he tell them to wait? Until they received it. Isn't that crazy? They waited 10 days. But he didn't tell them how long to wait. It's like Juanita said a minute ago, we can't even have a two-hour church service. Maybe we haven't waited long enough to receive and it doesn't mean we have to have five-hour church services, but the point is, if, if we're not listening to the Holy Spirit to know, maybe we're not waiting long enough to receive. They waited 10 days and didn't even know they needed to wait 10 days, but they waited in anticipation <coughs> that something was going to happen. And when, when the Holy Spirit came, he came in as of the sound of a rushing mighty wind, and, he filled, and it, his, the Spirit filled the whole place, and they were radically transformed. And what he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is that power will come on you when the Holy Spirit comes in, in you, and you'll be my witnesses. At this point, you'll be my witnesses. And we see, remember we talked last week, what happened to Peter. At one point, Peter is denying Christ. And the next point, after the power of the Holy Spirit moves in the upper room, he leads 3,000 people to salvation. Now, remember something we've talked about, that at the day of Pentecost, when these people came out and were speaking in other languages, there were 3,000 that came to salvation. But when Peter got up and spoke, you realize he's speaking to people that have, have around 1,000 different languages in the group. A thousand different languages in the group. This was a miraculous Holy Spirit encounter. See, just like Terry here, going to this Hispanic church, Spanish-speaking church, it doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit came and changed. With these, the same thing. They waited, and they were endued with miraculous power. And that miraculous power allowed 3,000 to be saved. And from that point, remember what he says, they were meeting every day, house to house meeting. And they were, they were breaking bread together. They were studying the Gospels. And they were praying together. And the Bible says what? 
that the Lord, didn't say they, it says that the Lord added to their number daily. The Lord. What I go back to what we're talking about at the first. It's not about all of us. It's not about what we know. It's about the Lord. And are we giving God the opportunity to do that? Going back to Abigail at the prayer walk the other day, she's she feels the Holy Spirit say something. So she says, Sister Connie, this is what we need to do. We need to do this. And that's not her. She's not that outgoing, you know, Chloe, you know, Harmony, Christy kind of person. She's more like her dad. No, she's more like her Nina. So <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is our only, is our only power source. It's our only power source. And uh, we're going to read these following verses. Y'all ready? All right, we're going to start over here and go around the block. We're going to start with Tara. She gets to start with Luke one thirty-five. The Holy Spirit is our only power source. Go ahead, Tara. Luke one thirty-five. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What do you say? The power of the Holy Spirit will come on you. Luke 4, 14. We're talking about a supernatural, miracle-working God. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled, the Holy, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. They spread because what he was doing was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, his ministry started after the Holy Spirit descended on him when he was baptized by John. Remember that? And his ministry starts out. He's all these heal, all this healing starts taking place, all these things, because he was a man that was God that was filled with the Spirit of God and the power through that through the Spirit of God. Okay, my life verse. Go ahead. X one eight is my life verse. But you will, re- but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth, people get told about it because the power of God that is inside of you, the Holy Spirit that you allow Him to work inside of you. That's how. It happens. Okay, buddy. Eight, uh, Acts 10, 38. And you, that God announced Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Good job. All right. Again, the power of the Holy Spirit. These verses are telling us this. Let's go to the next one, Romans 1, 4. And he was shown to the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Power of the Holy Spirit. We're starting to see a little trend here going, okay, you ready? 
Yeah, you hold on there. All right. So First uh, Corinthians, or excuse me, Romans fifteen thirteen and eighteen through nineteen. You get both of those. <laughs> okay. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confidence, hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 18, 19. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I work among them. All happened because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Abigail, 1 Corinthians 2, 4. Oh, she didn't. I, I thought I thought there was something missing there. Go ahead, but I, I don't have the sheet because I ran out of sheet. I ran out of ink. <laughs> they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders, and by the spirit of God, and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to. Elyricum. Go ahead. Okay, so so the power the power of the Holy Spirit did these miracles. Did these miracles. Okay, first Corinthians two four. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. So he didn't do anything spectacular, he just relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, Harmony, you ready? 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. To one person, the, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice to another. another. The same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit... Spirit gives great faith to another, and to some, someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives the person the power to perform miracles, and another the ability to pro- pro- prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still, another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what it's being said. Love that. Tara's going to get to read again. So I love that. You know, every one of us has this power available to us if we accept it. All right. There's the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do you do with the gift? You either reject it or you accept it. Right. Somebody comes and gives you a gift. No, I don't want it. I don't want it. And it's amazing as Christians, we come in as people that love the Lord, 
supposedly. We come into this Christian faith, and we ask Jesus into our life, and then we're like, eh, that's as far as I want to go with this. I don't want any more of it. It's like going to your own birthday party and not opening your own presents. That's right. That's right. Because the whole heaven rejoices when we come to Christ. And then we have all this other stuff that he wants to do inside of us. And do we allow him to do it? We have, we have to accept the gift that he gives us. He's not going to force it on us. We have to accept it and let him work in us. And the reason he works in us is for other salvation. The reason miracles are performed is for other salvation. The reason messages, interpretations in unknown, unknown tongues is for other people's salvation or other people's edification. And I could tell many stories that go along with that. Let's go on. Galatians 4.29. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to, ju- to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. So with Abraham, Isaac was not the firstborn, but in God's eyes, he was the one born by the power of the Spirit. Ishmael was born just because, you know, two people, you know, did the thing, and, and that happened. But with Sarah, she was already, I think the Scripture, you shriveled up, you know. She was already, she was no longer bearing children. But the power of the Holy Spirit allowed her to bear children. Only Isaac, though. Isaac. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, next verse, uh, Ephesians three sixteen. I pray that from His glory, unlimited resources, He will empower you with other strength through His Spirit. Why do you think we're unlimited church? Because we want unlimited resources. We want the power of God moving through us in that powerful way. Okay, Tabitha, First Thessalonians one verse five. For when we brought you. The good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way, for you from the way we lived when we were with you. So the power of the Holy Spirit revealed to these people that what they were saying was true. And that's what that's what God does for us. All right, buddy. Second Timothy one seven. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and somebody, but of power, love, and self dis self discipline. Self discipline. I think that's what that one is. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. The spirit that is inside of us is powerful. It is love. What did she feel when she cried? When Terry got finished crying? Felt love and peace. Love and peace. That's what Juanita said. Love and peace. You heard him say in the video, here's what Pastor Simbla said, do we need more translations of the Bible? As a matter of fact, I think I've got a, a, a longer 
portion. I posted it actually on my Facebook page today, so let me pull this up real quick and read it to you. If, if well, this is the way Facebook works for me normally. It doesn't. Oh, well, that's one of the problems right there. Guess it doesn't want to work. Anyway, you can go to my Facebook later and, and see what it says. But she's if she's able to pull my Facebook up and I can, it's gonna be crazy. I'll let you. Okay, listen to this. So I wanted to do a little bit deeper. It goes with what he was saying here, okay? But I want to go a little bit deeper on, on something Jim said, and this is him speaking. He says, I receive hundreds of emails from individuals who ask me if I know of a church near them that still preaches the simple, pure word of God. They complain that their pastor rarely references the Bible. Others write asking me to recommend a church with a prayer meeting. They say very little, if any time, is dedicated for prayer in the churches. What if instead of using our own cleverness and intelligence, as Paul said, right, leaders relied on the truth found in God's word delivered in love through the power of the Holy Spirit, God would certainly be more pleased, and the Bible assures us that the spiritual results would be amazing, guaranteed. What would what happens when we say enough's enough? We don't care about anything else. We just want the power of God. That's what I keep on saying about this church. We're going to get to the point that the power of God is so strong that people will drive by and people will pull in the parking lot. People will walk through the doors of this church and go, I don't know what pulled me in here. Just like Terry got pulled into that church because the power of God sent her there. The Holy Spirit sent her there. So, evangelical leader doc, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in 1970 sermon at Westminster Chapel said this, we are in urgent need of some manifestation, some demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need dry services. We don't need dry sermons and dry songs. You know, people will say, they'll go to a church and they go, oh, wow, man, their worship team is amazing. But they're not talking about the power of God. They're talking about their ability to sing and their ability to play. And that's great, but people go to a Mariah Carey concert or, you know, whoever else, and they say, oh, wow, man, I got chill bumps in there. It's not the power of God that did it. It's just their their, their awesome ability to sing and their awesome ability to play. What we need is not that. We need the awesomeness of the power of the Holy Spirit working in our service. Did you have something to say over there, Juanita? <laughs> she said no, sir. Uh, Juanita said entertainment. Entertainment, that's a good one. <laughs> when we... When we think about it, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to see 
the presence of God working. And, you know, the presence of God is not seeing a cloud. That's fine. If the Holy Spirit wants to come in here like a cloud, that's great. Yes, Juanita, speak. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, um, you know, from the Spirit reaches the Spirit. So when we're dealing with entertainment about singing and that kind of thing, you say, oh, we had good service. Well, what happened? You know, what was the was the, they preach about or whatever? So when you're dealing with the Spirit, then therefore it comes, it's within you. You get something out and you're blessed throughout the week, throughout that day. It's not just, oh, we had good service. You know, it takes you throughout your week and it sits there and it ministers you throughout the week. That's that's the hopes of it. Yeah, and, and that can be in a contemporary church. That can be in a Pentecostal church. That can be, you know, the contemporary church. A lot of times I think we look at Pentecostal church and how many people in the Pentecostal church. Yeah, pat yourself on the back there. How many people in the Pentecostal church <laughs> have walked out and, boy, we had such a great church service. Man, you know, so-and-so shouted the house down. But did they carry it through the week? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it just, as Jim Simula said, that we have distorted what the Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit isn't shouting. It's fine that we get excited. It's fine to shout. It's fine to run around. It's fine to dance. It's nothing wrong with it. But that's not the Holy Spirit, because if you remember, he wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the earthquake. Remember, when he was when it would come to that, he was what? He would he was in the still. He, he said the still small voice. Sometimes it's not all of this other extra stuff. It's great, but even Pentecostal churches get so tied up in the emotionalism aspect of the service sometimes that they miss out on actually hearing from God. Oh, we had a great service, you know, because, you know, some people shouted and ran around. Contemporary services. Oh, we had a great service because, man, the music was awesome. It was 17.5 seconds long, and, man, it was great, you know. I'm being, trying to be funny. That's what they do. They plan their services out to the minute. So (laughs) they do plan their services out. Go to the back and look at their screens. Their screens are counting them down. What's coming next? What's coming next? And about 17 minutes is what they want their worship service to last on on average. Yeah, that's their average. All right, so in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, we read, Pastor Simbola applies this not just to the clergy, but to each individual Christian. So what's 12, 7? Somebody, Abigail, read 12, 7, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 again. We don't have 1 Corinthians 12. That's the one I didn't have. I'm sorry. I'll read it again then. To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good to each person. And so when we do not receive the gift and accept the gift, then we are therefore denying the common good. To each person, it's given for the common good. You know? Somebody gives you a $100 gift card to Canes, you know? But you, I don't want that. I don't accept that. No, you just take it back. Maybe you need to take somebody out to eat with it. The common good, right? It's a gift. But it's, same, but it's with the Holy Spirit, it's the same thing. What he does in our lives is for the common good of the church, for each individual person, for the people that you're around. It was for the common good of Terry that these people 
were allowing the Spirit of God, the power of God to move through them, they could have just kept their mouth shut, but they didn't. They let God do that. Now, as we end this evening, listen to what John Edwards, pastor of the Congregational Church in Northampton, Massachusetts, said in uh, the First Great Awakening. He says, And then it was the latter part of December 1734 that the Spirit of God began extraordinarily to set in and wonderfully to work amongst us. There were very, there were very suddenly, one after another, five or six persons who were to all appearance savingly converted, and some of them were affected in a very remarkable manner. A great and earnest concern about the great things of religion and the eternal world became universal in all parts of the town and among persons of all degrees and all ages. The noise amongst the dry bones waxed louder and louder. More than 300 souls were savingly brought home to Christ in this town in the space of a half a year. The Spirit of God has so much extended not only his awakening, but regenerating influences. So it was across the whole town that this revival, this great awakening was happening. It wasn't just among Christians. You know, we see this a lot of times. Oh, we have revival. And, and revival is we have having a good time and Christians from other churches are coming. But we don't see those being saved outside the church or people being drawn into the church to salvation coming. It's no, no, come to our revival. And who do we invite? We invite all the other churches to come to our revival, which is great, but th that's not revival. Revival is people coming to salvation. So this week, I've got down there at, at, on the bottom of your last page there, these are things that you need to be praying through this week. One, praise God that his power, the power that is through the Holy Spirit, is stronger than your weakness, or we could say your weaknesses. His power is stronger than that. And we can turn on the power. We can turn the switch on. How? By just saying, Holy Spirit, I give you the authority in my life to do what you need to do. His power is stronger than every one of our weaknesses. Secondly, this week, ask the Spirit to remind you regu regularly that apart from Him, you can do nothing. Apart from the Spirit of God, you are powerless. But with the Spirit of God, the Scripture says, with God, all things are possible. And number three, pray that once again this week, every group member would sense the power. And everybody's not here tonight. So every group member, every person in our church would uh, sense the Spirit's power and direction as they go about their lives in the coming week, and they would act in the power for the common good. And I want to add to that that pray that they will sense the power of God in their life no matter how many times they come to church and no matter where they're at with the Lord, that the power of God is going to come on them so strongly that it's going to just draw them, just draw them to the point. Remember what, what Terry said. She just started going to church every week to a church she couldn't even understand. Why? Because the power of God was there. Even though she said, listen, the fear that she heard, right? The fear of the Holy Ghost. Oh, my goodness. They got me in a cult. It, I'm not ever going back. And she went back, and she went back, and she went back. That fear 
is diminished, that fear is decimated because he has not given us a spirit of fear. And the spirit she encountered was not a spirit of fear. It wasn't something wonky. It wasn't something satanic. Satan doesn't come in to to console us. He comes in to destroy us. He goes around seeking who he can destroy. All right, let's pray. Father God, we just want to give you glory, praise, and honor for who you are and for everything that you're doing in our lives, everything that you're doing in our church. God, I ask tonight, and I believe that everybody here would agree with me, I ask that your power will move amongst every one of our church people, every person who comes on Sunday morning, every person who comes on Sunday night and Wednesday night. Lord, we just pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will move in them, Lord, and that they will realize that the power of the Spirit is moving in them for the common good of other people. Lord, it is, it is your responsibility to save people. It's our responsibility to receive your gift of the Holy Spirit and power inside of us to be used to be used for that purpose, to be vessels of honor, to be used for the purpose of spreading the gospel. Not just through our speech, not, you know, Lord, as, as we fear many times, are we going to say the right thing? I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing. Instead, we don't need to worry about that. We just need to be willing and then let your power flow through us that when we touch somebody and we talk to somebody and we pray to somebody, that it's not what we say that changes the atmosphere. It's not what we say that changes their heart. It's not what we say that draws them to church, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that draws them to church, just like you did with Terry. You will speak to them. All we got to do is be willing enough to open the door for them to hear. God, I just pray that this is the church that we're becoming. This is the church that we're going to be long-term and that we're not going to worry about how great the music is. We're not going to worry about how great the teaching and the preaching and how, how awesome of a building we have or anything like that, but we're going to worry about the power of God to the pulling down of strongholds, the power of God moving that draws people to you and let us be the, the, let us be the vessels that get them there get them to you, and then you do the rest of it. We thank you for that. I pray for your guidance in our life and your wisdom in our life, Lord, in everything that we pray and everything that we do. I pray for those who are working, Lord, this week, that you'll bless their jobs, that you'll encourage them in their jobs, that you will just bless their finances. And I pray for our young people and our children, Lord, as they're in their school doing schoolwork and 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 going to public school or homeschool, wherever they're at, Lord, I pray that you'll bring blessings on them and encourage them and help them, God. And we just want to give you glory and honor and praise in the matchless name of Jesus. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power. In Jesus' name, amen.